Well, good morning. I'll try that again. Good morning. You know, I'd like to thank Dean Still and Professor Angela Reed for extending the invitation to speak this morning. Uh, it's truly an honor. Uh, my friends Sean Boyd and uh, Matt Homeyer in the last two weeks have said something to me very similar. They've said, whoa, you're preaching in chapel soon. You're following quite a lineup. And uh, it's great, isn't it? I mean, no pressure or anything. You know, as many of you know, I have the privilege of following Dr. Billy Abraham, who was with us last week, and who also was one of my wife's professors at the Perkins School of Theology at SMU. And while listening to him preach last week, I thought, how pleasant, how wonderful to hear someone preach to us with such a fine Irish accent. And so this week, I will extend our streak of fine and distinct accents. I come to you from East Texas. Now, we all come from somewhere. I mean, as Paul observed in Acts 17, God marked out the times and places in which we are to live. And one of the things I love about serving at Truett Seminary is that God brings us into fellowship here with people from places all over the world. And that's a gift. And I think we should pray that God would bring us into fellowship with people from every state and every nation every tribe and every tongue, and to use us as a community to train ministers who will then go to every people, every nation, every tribe, and every tongue to proclaim the gospel, and to invite people to trust Jesus and then to serve him in his kingdom. I mean, would you pray that with me? I mean, I hope so. You know, Dean still mentioned that I serve in the Office of Spiritual Formation. What is spiritual formation? Spiritual formation is simply the process of being shaped in our inmost being at the level of soul. We have all received a spiritual formation and we're all undergoing a spiritual formation. It's not a question of if we are being formed in our inmost being, it is rather a matter of to whom or to what we are being conformed. Christian spiritual formation, very simply, is being conformed to the image and person of Christ. C.S. Lewis was right when he observed that we are, even now, becoming today who we will be forever, and so I invite everyone in this room to be clear-eyed and sober-minded. All of us still have very far to go, because matters of the heart are not simple, easy, or straightforward. Transformation into Christ-likeness is a work of the Spirit. It's a miraculous act of God's grace. And we want to be transformed, do we not? You know, thankfully, God has provided for us both ways and means. And the great invitation before us today is that God has not only called us to be servants, but friends, to enter into a transformative relationship. Today I want us to consider what this idea, the notion that we are friends of God, means for our formation as followers of Jesus as members of one body and as witnesses in our world. In our courtyard, as Dean still remarked underneath one of the benches that surrounds our baptismal well, that fountain there, there is a marker placed in memory of Dr. Eddie L. Dwyer, a man who has now passed away but who served as a professor of religion at Baylor for 37 years. The marker cites Exodus 33:11 that you heard read just a moment ago, the verse that tells us that God met with Moses face to face 
as a friend. And we're going to consider that verse in the surrounding context in Exodus. And I want to draw our attention to several truths within that text that tell us something about friendship. I want us to consider these four things. First, the longing for friendship. Second, the place of friendship. Third, the face of friendship. And then lastly, the fellowship of friends. So first, the longing for friendship. In our passage today, we're told that Moses would go forth to the tent of meeting, and when he did so, the Lord spoke with. Not, at, not to, not at, but with Moses, face to face as a friend. After Moses' death in Deuteronomy 34.10, we read this. We're told that since that time, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Moses had something special with God. But as good students of the Bible, we know that things here get complicated and quickly. Why? Because in Exodus 33, 12 to 23, God passes by Moses while hiding him in the cleft of a rock, having told Moses, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. So how do we hold these two texts together? Maybe the answer rests in the pillar of cloud. Truthfully, I don't know. I'll let you take that one up with your Old Testament professors. <laughs> But what I do know is this, is that God and Moses shared a friendship. They walked together as friends. Moses met with God as a friend. God met with Moses as a friend. And if we slow down and think about this for just a second, if we read this text as though reading it for the first time, the very notion that a human being could be a friend of God should, as my teacher Howard Hendricks would have put it, blow every circuit in your head. What could this mean? How could the divine befriend a human being? Or a human being befriend the divine? But here it is. Here is Moses. Here is God. Friends. Perhaps you've pondered the meaning of friendship with God. Maybe you've longed for it. Maybe some of us have begun plumbing the depths of meaning such a notion could have. Maybe a few have experienced what friendship with God is as a reality and not just as an abstraction, but most of us here in this room are busy just longing for friends, people who are with us and for us, people who know us, who listen to us, who are faithful and true. I'd argue that for many of us, one of the challenges we face in accepting the idea that we could be friends of God is that we have yet to forge strong friendships with other people. We're caught in a vortex of isolation, of loneliness. Friends can help us to see that God is a friend. But the amazing thing is, is that works the other way around too. Being a friend of God can help us learn what it means to be a true friend and to be thankful when we receive the gift of fellowship with another. When I was a fifth grade student at Rice Elementary in Tyler, our curriculum included one week at Camp Tyler on the shores of Lake Tyler. We stayed in a bunkhouse, went hiking, made crafts, played, experienced the outdoors. One day the boys in my class went to the baseball field and we decided to divide teams and play a game. And as we deliver, deliberated over who would play with who, I was suddenly overtaken by a deep loneliness. Now remember, I was 12. I mean, is it possible to have an existential crisis as a young boy? I mean, maybe. But I decided to drift back from the group, and I walked away. 
Now the field was bordered by tall East Texas pine trees and on the other side of the tree line there was a small forest path and then the lake shore. And so I entered the woods and I crossed the path and I sat down on the shore and the day was overcast, much like today as I recall. And as I watched the water lap the sandy banks, I said, God, would you please just send me one friend? Now, I'd moved to Rice in the third grade, and I still didn't feel like I fit in. But I can also remember that not one minute after this thought had passed through my mind, suddenly a boy named Matt Hood was crouching down by my left shoulder, directing his gaze upon the lake. And he said, what are you doing? Now, 30 seconds after that, I turned and I saw that every boy in the class had joined us. Now, in that moment, it was deeply oppressed upon me that God had heard my prayer and provided an answer. Someone said, do you want to go play? The moment was over, and off we went. But as I look out upon this room, socially distanced and masked, I can safely assume that there are people here who are experiencing deep loneliness, who know what it is like to pray that prayer or to feel as I felt. Now, many are lonely today. I read an article in USA Today that reported nearly half of the 20,000 adults surveyed nationwide by Cigna, a global health service company in 2018 reported sometimes or always feeling alone or left out. Generation Z, those 18 to 22, and millennials ages 23 to 37 rated themselves highest on feelings associated with loneliness. The Health Resources and Service Administration of the United States has declared an epidemic of loneliness, finding that 43% of senior adults report being lonely on a regular basis. And an estimated $6.7 billion in annual federal spending is attributable to social isolation among older, adu older adults. We long for friendship, and too often we don't have it, and it's painful. Now, people stood and watched Moses go forth to the tent of meeting. They beheld Moses, the friend of God. Something must have stirred in them, a longing, a wonder, a deep desire, and that same longing stirs in us, but the good news here is that we're not alone. The good news is that we have a friend, and that God is that friend, and what Moses had can be ours, and in Christ it is. The second thing this text suggests to us is that we not only long for friendship, but friendships are forged in a place. We're told Moses would go some distance from the camp and set up a tent. He had a name for it. He didn't call it Revive or Journey or Koinonia or Fuel Church or Vibe or Crosswalk or Crossroads or Flow Church or Elevate or Vita Explosiva. He didn't call it Little Hope Baptist Church, Undenominational Holiness Church, Run for Your Life International Chapel or First United Separated Baptist Church. Now y'all laugh, those are real. <laughs> Moses, well, when he decided on a name for the place he met with God, he called it the Tent of Meeting. Moses didn't give much thought to branding. 
But I'll give uh, credit where credit's due. He was clear. Now, for some of you, I'm just going to warn you, if you go out of here and you rename your youth group gathering 10 of meeting, well, that's biblical. (laughs) Now, God would meet with Moses in a place. God still meets us in places. Maybe even right here. This chapel was dedicated in honor of Paul W. Powell. This chapel is a place where this institution, this seminary, gathers in the hope that God will meet us here. Now, when I was a boy, Paul was my pastor. Paul baptized me. Paul eventually preached the charge at my ordination, which took place at the First Baptist Church of Allen, Texas, which is pastored then as now by a good man named Chad Self. Brother Chad was very gracious to me. Paul served the Greenacres Baptist Church in Tyler, Texas. He shepherded a group of people who gathered at Troop Highway and Leo Lynn under a tall white steeple church. And God met with that group of people. It was there that I learned that God was a friend. Why? Because God befriended me there and cared for me there and shared uh, a message of salvation through the people that were there. In fact, the message of salvation. Those people introduced me to Jesus because Jesus came down. He was with us always, true to his word. Now we gather here in this chapel, in this place of friendship. We gather here to worship God, sit under the authority of the word, meet with Jesus, discern the Spirit's leading, and experience spiritual fellowship with one another. This building is a gift, and it's been made possible by the gifts of friends. It took money to build these walls, to establish academic chairs, to provide scholarships. Brother Paul would often say that he would lean on his friends. He asked them for support, for prayers, for money. Now, Paul is now with the Lord, but his friendship with God and his friendship with numerous others helped make this tent of meeting possible. Let's never forget that if we're part of a good church, a good town, a good seminary, somebody made it good. And the charge becomes ours with God's help to make it a good place for others. If you lead a church, serve a ministry then make it a tent of meeting. Make it a place of hospitality, a place where every person is received as you would receive Christ himself. You don't need a permanent structure. You don't need a building. If you have those, those are bonuses. Because if you have Christ in you, and if you trust him, you do, God has made you his dwelling place. The Holy Spirit indwells you. You are a temple. You are the place of meeting. We've considered the longing for friendship. We've thought about the place of friendship. Third, this text tells us something about the face of friendship. We're told God met with Moses face to face and that the two spoke as friends. Not long after our reading for today in Exodus chapter 34, we're told that Moses received the Ten Commandments at Sinai, and after descending the mountain, his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. Time with God not only had an effect on Moses' character, his inner being, but on his appearance. He was transformed. He shone with God's glory. The encounter left an afterglow. I think we've seen glimmers of what this could be like. We've had moments where God's eternal glory and grace have broken through in the face of another. We've been in the presence of a person who gives faithful witness to Christ who, 
in a moment is someone through whom God makes an appearance. Our great friend meets us in and through our friend. I mean, what is a friend? Proverbs 17, 7 tells us that a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Friends stick with us in tough times. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Friends tell us the truth even when it hurts. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Friends knock off our rough edges and help us to become the people God has created us to be. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10 says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Friends help each other along the way and restore one another. When one falls, there are many other examples in Scripture of what friendship is like. There is an old adage that says the best way to have a friend is to be one. The Scriptures help us know what it means to be a friend, often by first inviting us to look to God. Consider God's friendship with Moses. Moses was not a perfect man. In fact, the Bible is plain about his failings, yet God befriends him. Friendship is an expression of grace, and God is gracious. Remember Exodus 34 when Moses brings the new tablets atop Sinai? What does God say? Exodus 34, 6 and 7 tells us God passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. God follows this declaration with a reminder that God is also just, a judge whom the wicked will not escape. And there's something reassuring in knowing God is a friend who will set things right. The scriptures tell us that God gave Moses his commands and instructed him according to God's way. God stuck with Moses in tough times, told him the truth even when it hurt, knocked off Moses' rough edges, and restored him when he fell. I don't believe this because it just sounds nice. I believe it because I've read the story of Moses. Now, God was a faithful friend to an imperfect human being, a person like us. As God was a friend to Moses, we're to be friends one to another. 1 John 4, 7 says this, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Friendship with God, it transforms us, changes us, inside to outside. Proverbs 27, 19 says this, As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. To the degree Jesus Christ has captured our heart, our life makes it plain. One's life reflects the heart. Our love for one another will reflect divine love. Love will be written upon our face. We will display the face of friendship. Now, when we began, I said this text contains four movements worthy of our attention, at least. We've considered the longing for friendship, the place of friendship, and the face of friendship. Now, let us direct our attention to the last of these four, uh, four movements, to the fellowship of friends. God called Moses a friend, but it gets better. God has called us friends. Now, when Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tent, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As God conversed with Moses, we're told, whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped. 
each at the entrance to their own tent. Notice the people did not go to the tent of meeting. They remained in place. They were glad to see Moses intercede on their behalf. They were reverent towards God. They knew Moses' friendship with God was something special. They knew Moses' friendship with God represented a strong tie between Israel and the people, and they responded in praise. But, friends, in Deuteronomy 18.15, Moses told Israel, The Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me. Moses was not the last of his kind. And in John 1.45, Philip told his friend Nathaniel, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. One greater than Moses is here. And what did he say? What did Jesus say? In John's gospel, as Jesus neared his cross, he looked on his disciples and told them, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Love each other as I have loved you. And what is that love? Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And who are his friends? You are my friends if you do what I command. And how do we know that we're his friends? Everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. As friends of Jesus, what does he command us to do? Love each other. Now look around this room. I mean, take a moment. Just look. How do we know that we can be friends? Despite the fact that we're from different places, different ethnic backgrounds, different social statuses, different nationalities, different degrees of education. Some here in this room have lived mostly decent, upright, and moral lives. Others, God has raised up from low places. But all of us in this room share a common humanity a common subjugation to sin in need of deliverance. We're like Moses, imperfect people, befriended by a holy God. And how have we been brought into such a friendship? The answer, my friends, is that Christ has died for us. He laid down his life, and why? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. All for love. Now, if that is true for us, it is also true for every person outside these walls, in every nation, of every tribe, and in every place. 
We are heralds of great good news. And don't you see that if Christ has been a true friend to you, you can be a friend to all. How will they know that we are Christians? By our love. And our love testifies to the reality that we're not only friends of one another, but we are friends of God. Third John ends with these words, peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. The friends. The friends. Let our life together bear witness to the truth that we're no longer at enmity with God nor with one another. We are no longer condemned, but rather we've been redeemed, adopted, claimed, justified, cleansed, and yes, we're being sanctified, transformed, renewed, and remade into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. We are no longer alienated. We are reconciled. The world is longing for friendship. The great good news is that the greatest friend, Jesus, is a friend of all. He beckons all to come to the place of meeting, to look full upon his face and to join his fellowship of men and women, his friends, in his eternal kingdom forever. And I ask you, will you take his hand? Will you see the greatness of his love displayed on the cross? He laid down his life, you know, for you and for me and for us. Will you worship him as he reigns on his throne today? Will you praise him in word and in deed, producing fruit that will last? Will you serve him? Will you love each other? As he said, I hope so. There's never been a greater friend. Remain in his love. Keep his commands. Receive his joy. But don't keep it to yourself. Share it with the friends. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. And the powerful testimony we find there that by the miracle of your grace you have reached across the great chasm that separates us from you and you have extended to us the hand of friendship. Lord, let each person here today receive your peace and to know in the depths of their inmost being that you see them, you know them, you love them, you have called them, you have appointed them for a purpose, and you invite them to join you along the way as your friend. May each one of us give great thanks for Jesus Christ. May we keep his command to love each other. And may we walk faithfully as friends, not only with each other, but most importantly, Lord, with you. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.